Would you join me in Galatians chapter number 5? We are in the midst of a study of the internal battlefield, and it will cover uh, a good portion of Galatians chapter number 5 here. Today I want to take your attention to verse 16. Verse number 16. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of of the flesh. Very significant verse for us to look at again today. So let's start by uh, asking our Lord for his guidance at this time. Heavenly Father, we come before you realizing how much of a cost our Savior paid that we might be redeemed, that we might be yours, that we might be here today and and know that uh, your love for us is so great. You have been so kind to give us your word and the instructions that we need to live this life that you have given to us. And Lord, as uh, incredible as it all is, it's still overwhelming. And that's why we come before you today and ask that you might help us, guide us, direct us, uh, do your work in us as we study your word today. There is much for us to gain and learn And I pray that uh, your work might be evident within us. Work and uh, make us different, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's my plan. My plan over the next handful of uh, months, I guess, will be to go from verse number 13 all the way to verse number 26, which is the end of the chapter. That's the plan that I have before us. Last week I began in verse 16, and uh, that is where we find a mandate that we are called to. The mandate is to walk by the Spirit. Now that's not some clever 20-step plan or program. It's not a momentary topic that should fascinate us and inspire us and just keep us occupied until the next topic comes along. It is a mandate from God's Word. It's a directive, if you will. It's an obligation from our Lord. It does not come as a good option or a suggestion. It is required of us. I hope to impress that upon all of us here. Because I don't know how to say it any stronger, and I certainly don't want to say it any weaker. The response that we must have, the proper response, is obedience. And the only other response is disobedience. Those are where we stand between those two at times. We have to either obey or not. Our commander has told us what to do, so shall we do it? He says, walk by the Spirit. We are called to that. Now often I know, I say it, probably you've said it before too. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, last week I said that uh, we have great struggles, and perhaps one of the biggest struggles for a believer is living godly in an ungodly world. I do not believe that has gotten easier since last week. And I can't say that next week is going to be easier, living in an ungodly world. This world is a battlefield. 
It truly is. And this study concerns, though, a more personal battlefield, and that is that which is in you. That's what we talked about last week, the personal battlefield, the internal battlefield that's inside each of us. It's too easy to get complacent in this world. It's too easy to get comfortable, to get callous, to uh, get careless. It's very easy to do that. Walking by the Spirit is hard. And I don't uh, uh, gloss that over in any way. I once read a quote uh, uh, that I thought would just say this so well. I, I can't say it perfectly because I, I don't know exact words that go with this. But this was the essence of the quote that uh, we are spiritually barren at times and cold because this call is a spiritual call. And because it is spiritual, we are most likely to jump from it. Many in the Christian circle would be comfortable in a world rather than to be Christ-like. With Christ comes a cross, but too often we'd rather have the couch. I want to reveal that it is my own tendency to jump from it just as easily as anyone else. Don't think for a minute that Pastor Bob has this all figured out and settled. Uh, I'm just as bruised up on this inside as you are as we go through this passage. Uh, I, but I long to be what God wants me to be. And I hope that's where we're all at. When it says to walk by the Spirit, it means we are to obey Him. And the nature of the command is all the time. Challenging, huh? To walk by the Spirit is to trust His leadership all the time. To walk by the Spirit is to be in fellowship with Him. Guess how often? All the time. To walk by the Spirit is to seek His direction all the time. To walk by the Spirit is to know how He works. To walk by the Spirit is to have confidence in what He is doing. Ooh, that might have touched a spot. To have confidence in what He is doing. Today we want to give special emphasis to this as we go along. But, as we go back to verse number 16... I want you to meet the enemy. Meet the enemy. If I had a title, that's what it'd say. Meet the enemy. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The desire of the flesh. Now, I intend to go into a definition so you understand what is meant by that word flesh. But I'm going to turn the sermon upside down. And I'm going to start with the application. All right? Here's the application. We are not called to solve the flesh problem. We are not called to solve the flesh problem. It's reactionary. When we read a word like this, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, we say, well, then let's just get rid of it. That's what we do with bad stuff in the refrigerator, right? 
Well, let's just get rid of it. Let's throw it out. Now, there are those who figured that the flesh is just talking about the skin. That's what we wear. It's kind of hard to throw it away. I don't know if you've noticed that. If that's all it was, then we can't do much about that. But um, those who think that it's just talking about the physical nature of man, that the flesh being the skin or even the, the, the impulses of the, of the flesh, they use techniques to try to subdue it. They discipline it. They deprive it. They deny it. Uh, they might even self-inflict things upon it in order to control it. Over the years, there's been many in history who have attempted it that way. They figure that uh, if their eye is causing them to be offended, they literally pluck them out. They've cut off hands because they've been offended by their hands. Other figures uh, before had thought that the best way to solve the flesh problem was to climb a pole and sit on it the rest of their lives. Now, we could try that strategy. If you want, we've got probably enough telephone poles in town, we could all pick one. Of course, we'd make the news, wouldn't we? I think we'd have another problem, too, with the next ice storm, when some of those poles come down. <laughs> we don't want to be up there then. But that would be an interesting way of solving the flesh problem, wouldn't it? Let's all go pick a telephone pole and sit on it for a while. Of course, those of us who have height challenges, uh, we're not going up there. <laughs> Give me a short pole. But let's make, take a closer look at the verse and see what it says. It says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. It does not say walk by the Spirit and get rid of the flesh. Does it? God wouldn't tell you that. Because he knows you cannot do that. What value would it be to say, do this, and you'll get rid of the flesh? Or, think this, and you'll get rid of the flesh? Or, be this, and you'll get rid of the flesh? Theologically, the flesh won't go away until you enter into the presence of the Lord when he calls you home. Until then, it's with you. It is with you. God does not deceive us in his word. He never will. You could be confident of that. He doesn't call us to do this, or think this, or be this, and we have a solution. He says, trust me, and walk with me, and obey me, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's what walk by the Spirit means. The solution is not something you do as much as it is someone you trust. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Back in Romans, if you go over to chapter 12, you'll know a passage very familiar to you there in the first two verses. Romans chapter 12, a, a powerful uh, call at the end of all the theological things said in this book. Suddenly Paul burst forth with a therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you understand that verse? Do you understand what he's called us to do? He says, present ourselves to him. Present. Give ourselves to him. Who's doing all the work? Who's transforming us? Who's, who's made us acceptable? Who is the one who has turned us into something living and holy that's fit in his sight? Is that something you've managed to work up? Or is it what he has done? That's his work. We present ourselves to him. And he makes changes, incredible changes, to the place where we prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable, and that which is perfect. There's a, a passage in Colossians 3 that uh, speaks to us there as well. If you jump over there, a few pages to your the other side of your Bibles there. Colossians chapter 3. Again, an incredible passage that starts with the therefore. It says in verse number 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, have you been? Yes. So if, if you say yes to that, listen, it's to you. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on the things of the earth, for you have died. You see that? What can dead people do? Nothing. Nothing. You have died, he says. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where is your life right now then? According to this verse? Hidden with Christ. In God. Hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life... Oh, I like that phrase. I, I want to ask you something rather personal as I say this. Would verse 4 be a statement from your heart? Christ is my life. Can you say that? That's reality, folks. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't grasp it. <laughs> we don't act that way. We don't live that way. Christ is our life. Christ is our life. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly bodies as dead to immorality and to impurity and to passions and to desires, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. That, in a sense, is taking us right back to Galatians 5. Good words for us. I told you this was the application first, right? Because this gets rather personal as we talk through this passage here. Christ is my life. I have died. My life is hidden with him. I'm to seek things above. I'm to set my mind on things above. 
I am to present myself by a sacrifice before my God. I am to do these things. And you say, but I thought you said this sermon wasn't about do this and do that. It's not. It's not, technically. Because we don't do this and we don't do that to get rid of the flesh. We are told to walk by the Spirit. And we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. We are to obey Him. We are to trust His leadership. We're to be in fellowship with Him. We're to seek His direction. We are to know how He works. We're to have confidence in what He is doing. So I say it this way. When you start to try to get rid of the flesh instead of walking by the Spirit, you have actually played into the deceptive ways of that very same flesh. You're doing it its way and not God's way. So let's define the flesh so you can understand where I'm coming from here this morning. I pulled this out of uh, Charles Riley's Basic Theology, a great little book to help with simple definitions uh, and yet thorough ones. He says under the term flesh, Though flesh sometimes refers to tissue or to the whole material part of man, when used of a facet of the immaterial nature, it refers to that disposition to sin and to oppose God. Both the believer and the unbeliever possesses capacity. What was the capacity? The disposition to sin and to oppose God. The disposition to sin and to oppose God. Now, I know it's not uncommon for me to mention in this pulpit that we have a tendency to do things our own way, don't we? We're good at that. We prefer at times to use our own strength. We work by our own wisdom. We follow our own will. And do you know who gets the glory then? We do. Because that's what we were aiming at. When we do it our way, we seek our own glory. And I believe that is the flesh in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Self-dependence means that I need no one else. I need no one else. Self-dependence. I know at times we get into the talk about the free will. Maybe yours is better than mine. I don't like mine. My free will makes me self-dependent. My free will does things according to my own desire. My free will never has moved me one inch closer to God. It never has. I think my free will is always summed up in that verse. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've led everyone to his own way. His own way. Just this past week, I was reading about a great debate that took place back in the 1500s. Seems like so long ago. Martin Luther and a a Greek scholar named Erasmus were, were going at each other. Because one would write a book, the other one would write another book to counter the first book. And they were going back and forth with uh, their expressions of theology. And 
Erasmus had a strong opinion concerning the free will, and, and he wrote what he did against Luther. That was his desire. And so he wrote this powerful book uh, against him. And Luther thanked him for it. He said, I want to thank you very much for attacking that point, because that's the real thing. That is the essential thing. We're not talking about questions regarding popes and purgatories and indulgences and trifles things in comparison to what is the vital spot. And here's what he asked. Is a Christian message that which tells how man, with God's help, may save himself? Or how God in Christ has saved us? Is it by God alone? Or did he come alongside to help us in what we were trying to do? I thought that was a very pronounced statement. And then I got another one here this morning. It was going on next door over at the uh, guys' Sunday school class. And Steve brought this in and said, here, read this. And after I read it, I said, hey, this is going to fit right here in this spot. Because this is also by Martin Luther. Listen to these words. No man can be thoroughly humbled until he knows that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers, devices, endeavors, will, and works. It's beyond our own powers and devices and endeavors and will and works. The issue of the flesh hinges on this very thing. Either we are going to operate one way or another. And that's why this is such a pronounced statement, even as it is in verse number 16. You see, when we decide to follow the flesh and do it by our will, our way, our wisdom, our power, for our glory, if we operate that way, we're following into that very same thing that was whispered in the ears of Eve one day. You can be like God. Isn't that what he said? Take the fruit. Take the fruit. It'll open your eyes. You will know good and evil. You shall be like God. That's what he offered to them. Folks, they already knew good. The only thing offered to them that day was evil. That's all he gave to them. Was evil. They fell for it. Don't think for a minute that uh, we do anything less in opposing God when we operate by our flesh. We set into motion our own strength and our own wisdom to bring about our own will for our own glory, and that's self-dependence, and that's self-gratification, and self-glorification. Years ago, when I was young, I, I recall, we had, for you younger folks, we had these things called records. They were black, they were like giant black CDs, okay? And, and they had these grooves on them, and they'd put the music in there, and the needle would run through the groove, and, and however all that electronics works, I don't know, it just worked, and we could listen to music. But they also had this technique that could put subliminal messages in the same grooves, and if you took it on the record player and spun it backwards, there were messages, or really creepy-sounded voices saying things, uh, and some of you remember that, don't you? 
those subliminal messages that they would have running it backwards. And so that, that was, usually it wasn't a good thing. But I've noticed something. If you take the word flesh and you take the H off the end of it and start backwards, what do you spell? you got to think for a minute, don't you? S-E-L-F. There's a subliminal one for you. The flesh is all about the self. It's all about the self. I know it sounds clever, maybe, perhaps, but that's what drives the flesh, is self. Self will be king. Self will not bow down to anybody. Self opposes God. You say, well, okay, prove it. It sounds like he's overstating it. So let's take a look. Go back to Galatians 5. Let me show you what the flesh does in the passage that is before us. Go to verse 13 first. He says, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is a warning, really, in one regard. Notice that last phrase, but through love serve one another. What's the word but suggesting to us? Is it not a contrast? Is it not the opposite of something? Loving one another to serve one another, that's what we're called to do. What's on the other side of that? Opportunity for the flesh. The opportunity of the flesh does not serve others. The opportunity of the flesh does not love others. Guess who it loves? Self. And guess who it serves? Self. There's one contrast. He says in verse number 15, and here you can, you can put in the answer real simple, because I'm just going to ask you, what's operating here? The flesh or the Holy Spirit? Verse 15 says, but if you devour, bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Is that the flesh or the Holy Spirit? An action right there. That's the flesh, isn't it? Biting, devouring one another, consuming one another. That's why he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's a key verse. Why is it that by walking with one, you do not do the other? Because these two are in opposition to one another. I'm going to say this a dozen times, maybe more. The Holy Spirit and the flesh do not cooperate. They do not somehow uh, come to a middle place between them, and they're comfortable. You do your part, I'll do my part. They are never, ever cooperating. They are opposed to one another. And that's what you see in verse number 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these two are in opposition to one another. You see it? There it is. The flesh is opposed to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. So who is the flesh opposed to? God. The flesh is opposed to God. And what does it accomplish? Oh, let's see. Verse number 19. The deeds of the flesh are evident. 
which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. Wait, Paul just said that back in Colossians, didn't he? Same list, pretty much. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Things like these. That's what the flesh accomplishes when it sets about its own operation. See what the flesh can do? See what it can do? Are these not all self-wanting things? Every single one of them. It says, this is what I want, this is what I want, and if I don't get it this way, this is what I do. And by its own strength, it will get angry. It will cause disputes and factions. It will push. It will strive to get what it wants. It will use its own strength, its own wisdom, by its own will, for its own glory. That's what this list represents. It's a fruit that hangs on the tree of self. It's not a pretty picture, is it? I told you this morning that I wanted you to meet the enemy. I want you to know that this is a serious enemy we have. I don't know if it's sufficient for you to see and understand, but I do want to drive one point home that goes along with all these things. The flesh deserves the death penalty. It says in verse number 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I've said this in several lights, different options and different ways to express this, I guess, but when you crucify something, that's just not to teach them a good lesson. That's to kill. Isn't it? That's the whole point of the crucifixion. It's to kill them. It deserves the death penalty. That's God's word. So I flip you back to the application. Back to where we started. We're not called to solve the flesh problem. God has solved the flesh problem. He has done it. He sent His Son to die. And his, the price He paid, paid for our sins. He came to change us. Not, not to, to, to just you know, allow us to continue on in this course and maybe clean this up a little behind the ears. He has made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. The flesh is supposed to be dead. Still hangs there, doesn't it? You say, well, what do I do? What do I do? I, he doesn't say solve the flesh problem. He doesn't say get rid of the flesh. He doesn't say that. He says, draw near to me. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I love Philippians chapter 2. Beautiful passage, but one of my favorite verses is right in the middle of it where it says in verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you. Do you know it? He's at work in you. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Say, well, I've got to work up some way to, to, to correct my will. To... He's already doing that, folks. That's his job. He's already at work in you. So he says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
doesn't say get rid of the flesh. He knows you can't do that. He doesn't say do this. He doesn't say do that and it will get rid of the flesh. He doesn't say try this or think this or be this and it gets rid of the flesh. He says, trust me. Walk with me. Obey me. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You see the test here, folks. When you, when you look over your life, and maybe just the whole last week, maybe the whole last month, and you're starting to say, but you know, I've got a problem here, I've got a problem here, I've got to, I, I've got to come up with solutions for all these things. All the way through, he says, walk by my spirit. That's what he's asked you to do. That's what he's told you to do. Walk by my spirit. And you say, but this is a struggle. Yes, it's a battlefield. Walk by my spirit, he says. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Do you trust him? You say, but that's a heavy sin. That's a hard habit. Do you trust him? Do you walk with him? Do, Do you obey him? Do you carry out the desires of the flesh and wonder why? The solution is not something you do. It's someone you trust. And I'm going to keep underscoring that as we go through here because, folks, without the Lord, we are hopeless. Without the Lord, we're helpless. We must depend upon Him. And if this starts to test that whole heart of ours and says, oh boy, do we have a long ways to go, I think that's a good place to start. Because that's what the mandate is all about. We're going to talk about the flesh, yes. We're going to talk about the deeds of the flesh. We're going to talk about the Spirit. We're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to stand between those two places, and it's all going to hinge on who you're walking with today. Walk by the Spirit, he says, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Wow, it's a powerful section, isn't it? That's our battlefield. That's our enemy. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'm so glad the Lord is God. And he says, walk with me. Really, can we, can we really, really fight that? In your heart, do you really want to walk contrary to the ways of God? When he gives such a gracious invitation to give you a life that will, will have peace in your heart, that will have confidence before your God, that you could walk in a godly way and bear fruit, who's going to say, ah, let me live by the flesh? I hope it's nobody here. I hope it's none of us. When God so graciously calls us, so graciously empowers us, teaches us how this is to be done, says, just trust me and I'll do it in you. How can we turn our backs on such things? Let's talk to him because I think we need to, don't we? Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning. These words just stand before us and they demand our attention. For too long, Lord, we've been careless. We've been callous to your word. We've been following our own ways, we've been seeking our own satisfaction. 
Lord, we've seen where that comes from today. And it has never given us joy. It has never given us peace. It has never drawn us closer to you. And so we stop and say, thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ who died for us. That he should pay the price for our sin. That he should make it possible that through him we can approach the throne of grace and find grace and help in the time of need. We come this morning to your throne. And this command is before us and we have disobeyed it so often. But we thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your forgiveness, your grace your help. And we ask for that again. Keep that work going in our lives, Lord. Change our will. Change our work. That it will be that which resembles a walk with the Spirit. Do that work in all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.